Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Ideally, um, it would have been nice to be able to do 12, 13, and 14 uh, because it's one train of thought. Um, We were able to get through chapter 13 last week, but there's just too much um, in chapter 14 Um, and I did not want to just uh, rush through it. But I do want to remind you as we look at this chapter, um, let's review a little bit about the city of Corinth. We've been told that it was the wealthiest city in its time, during Paul's time. I mentioned that it had a population of about 700,000 people, Two-thirds of them uh, were slaves. Uh, They had no comprehension of the gospel. And they're misusing, misunderstanding. Well, a good example would be uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, Here, Paul is trying to teach them that the Lord never wanted them to forget the price that he paid on Calvary's cross. So he said, when you have communion, do this in remembrance of me. And um, uh, it was so out of order that um, when they practiced communion, um, they just thought it was another big festival. So they were gluttonous, they overate, and then they got drunk on top of it. And that was communion. So Paul had to correct them on their complete misunderstanding of what what, uh, the Lord's Supper was all about. They had no idea. And now, uh, if you look at chapter 12, it says, but now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. Change his thought in chapter 12, verse 1. Um, You know that you were Gentiles carried away with these dumb idols, They were into idolatry. They worshiped images made of stone. They worshiped images made of wood. And um, uh, he's declaring to them that um, their ignorance, so now he's gonna take them from the carnality realm that the, the city lived in. Remember, primarily the city was dedicated to uh, the goddess, false goddess, Aphrodite. Um, they had their own temple with 1,000 uh, temple prostitutes. And so the, the city was completely uh, given over to um, uh, a lot of adultery, sexual Im- impurity, ran rapid. That's all they knew. And now we have Paul coming in and explaining to them Uh, the gospel, but again, if you're not born again and you don't have the the Holy Spirit within you, it's impossible to understand the things that he's talking about. So he goes from um, the Lord's Supper in chapter 11 where he really has to um, explain to them, listen, you guys have really blown it with the Lord's Supper. Um, 
And he explains to them, it's not about overindulgence and eating and drinking wine, but it's a time of self-examination. And we read that at the end of chapter 11. Let a man examine himself. You guys are being gluttons and you're getting drunk, but that's not what it's about. You're to think about what Jesus did on the cross. And um, examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper Um, otherwise you could bring judgment upon yourself. For this reason, many people are sick and some have have even died. And he says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Well, that was the farthest thing from their their thinking. So when we get into 12, he begins to explain um, the Holy Spirit. And he begins by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. And when we went through chapter 12, we associated um, uh, the Holy Spirit is one, but he gives out many different gifts to the body of Christ. And he makes the point of saying that one gift that is given to a person is not greater than another one. So that's the first half of chapter 12. The second half, he uses it as an analogy to the human body. It would be like your hand can't say to your foot, I don't need you, You're, I'm more important than you are. Or that your eyes are more important than your nose or your hearing. Now he says, no, sometimes the, the, the weaker parts of the body are sometimes the most important. It's one body, but it's made up of all these gifts, and that's the way it should be in the church. One Holy Spirit and giving gifts to everybody, if you're born again, you have a gift. And every gift that's given, if you look at chapter 14, 12, I always make mention of this. The gift is given so that you would exercise your gift to encourage someone else. Uh, again, this evening, worship team comes out, leads us in, in a worship and, and uh, gets our attention off the things of the day, cares of the day, puts our eyes on the Lord. And uh, they're exercising that particular gift. The exception is going to be the gift of tongues. And we'll, we'll get into that. But um, um, in this review, we went to the last couple of verses of chapter 12 as after he uses the analogy that there's one spirit but there's many different gifts. There's one body, but it has many different parts. And we should never consider one part of the body more important than the other ones. But then he says, these are the gifts, but I want you to, des- to desire them. Um, and I will show you a more excellent way. And it's interesting in chapter 13, Verse one, the first example that he uses is the gift of tongues. And, and um, it's, it's mentioned here, and we'll come back to that. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? Well, the answer there is no. All people don't. I had somebody ask me on Sunday, um, they've been praying for the, the gift of tongues and uh, 
am I doing something wrong, basically? And I said, no, it's, it's really clear. And we just opened up to 1 Corinthians 12, and the answer to all the rest of them is no. <laughs> so this one's not going to be yes when it gets to the gift of tongues. So if you don't have the gift of tongues, the first thing that he says here is something that's greater than all these gifts, chapter 13, though I do have the gifts of tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He's actually saying he's diminishing uh, this this gift. Um, And they were so out of order, if we ask the question, um, what are tongues? Flip over to um, Acts chapter 2. And we'll find here in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost when it came, that verse 4 says that the apostles had the Holy Spirit come upon them. They could see it in a form of a flame of fire, but they could also hear it. It came in like a mighty rushing wind. And there were because it was the Feast of Pentecost, it would, they would have been required if they were Jewish to come to Jerusalem. And from verses five all the way down to oh, 10, it gives all these countries that have all these different languages. And the apostles were amazed because they understood, if, yet, if I would give a definition of what, what our tongues Acts 2 explains it as referring to a foreign language that are unknown to the one speaking, the one speaking them. In other words, if you came up here, I speak a little Creole, but not much. And but if I had the gift of tongues, and the we'll talk about the gift of tongues being one thing, and the interpretation of tongues being a completely different gift. So if I went to uh, Calvary Chapel Carnet and Bastia and there's no Americans there, he's just given a Bible study, it's all in Creole. And I wouldn't understand a word of it, even though it's a legitimate language. It's sloppy French, basically, what it is. And, um, but I wouldn't understand it. I understand a few words here and there. Um, but that's what um, tongues is. It's a, it's a language, according to Acts chapter 2, from other countries that the apostles who were not from those countries, they heard and understood the mighty works that God had done. Verse 11, we hear them speak in our own, in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so we were all amazed and perplexing to one another, what, what could this be? So there's a group, uh, early Jesus movement days called Parable, and um, they have a, a song called More Than Words. And the way I personally would describe what tongues is, Paul says that we're, we're gonna get to it here, or I read it somewhere a little bit farther. He not only he prayed in tongues, but he also sang in tongues. Now, um, there comes a place 
when you want to express something to the Lord. If it's a trial, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit understands your sighs and your groanings. He interprets it. And he knows what you're going through just through your sighs and your groanings. Well, there's times that you're so grateful uh, for the Lord and you're sensing his presence, there's really no way you can put it in words. Therefore, um, the necessity of the gift of tongues to say something that more than words. It's like Paul being in heaven. He says, when I was there, I heard things that I can't put them into words. It'd be a crime for a man to try to put them into words. So the spirit makes intercession for us and prays for us and we're expressing, even though we don't understand what the tongue is that's there, unless somebody's there to interpret it, something more than words. For me personally, I have the gift of tongues and I practice the gift of tongues because I used to play my guitar on a daily basis. And uh, I did this up till maybe three or four years ago. But after 50 years of talking all the time, (laughs) something happens to your vocal cords and your voice. And um, so what I'm trying to say is I hardly ever play my guitars anymore because I always would sing. And sometimes I would just like to open a psalm and I'd look at the psalm and I'd start strumming along and there were the words, the psalms are songs. And then something wonderful would happen and I got to a point that I wanted to express the way I felt for the Lord as David did and that's when I would speak in tongues. But I wasn't speaking, I was singing. And it just, it was a natural flow from the psalm into an expression that goes beyond words. So if you're asking me what my definition and the way I identify with it, it really bothers me. I'll be honest with you because my chords are not the same and I can't sing anymore so I hardly play my guitar anymore which means I don't speak in tongues as much as I should. As Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, and he talks about singing in the spirit. Now, as we look at chapter 14, we find um, Paul, um, I'm gonna quote two things from David Hockey today. Uh, I called him yesterday, he's recovering, and um, he's weak. And um, I said, David, uh, you got a, a, a book on Corinthians. And I was reading a portion. I wanted to hear what you had to say about a, a question that I was wondering about, and I wanted to see what you had to say about it. So I said, I'll probably be quoting you <laughs> during the Wednesday night Bible study. And it was good to talk to him and him and Jay. Uh, he still has to be cared for. He's still very, very weak. And um, um, I'll be quoting him twice. Here's, here's the first one here uh, um, from Dave's book on Corinthians. In discussion of 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul seems to focus 
on correcting the Corinthian practice of speaking in tongues. It appears that their practice was not the biblical gift, but rather a counterfeit. The ability to speak in an unintelligent babel was a common practice in false religions of the first century and continues into the present day church history as well. In other words, a counterfeit tongues is what he's basically talking about here. There's the real tongues, but evidently, and I was unaware of this, that in the first century, this was a common practice where they would uh, just um, uh, babble on, you know. That's where the word Babylon comes from, Babel. And we'll be going back and actually look at that. But evidently, it, this was, what they were doing here was not a biblical speaking in tongues, but a counterfeit that um, I believe continues into the church today. All right, a little personal story. I grew up in the uh, um, first couple of years of my walk with the Lord in um Pentecostal church where it, they allowed people to speak in tongues during the service. And um, the thing is, it was usually just the same person every week giving the same tongue, identical tongue, and then there'd be different people who claimed to have the gift of interpretation, and even though the tongue was the same every week, the interpretation was always different. And as a result of that, I wouldn't bring my friends to church because to me that was weird. And I didn't want uh, the Jesus that I knew wasn't weird, but what they were doing was weird. And uh, that was allowed to take place. We're going to read tonight that that's a big no-no. You don't do that. But we'll get into that as we we get into our, our, um, our study here. So it continues on into the church today where you may have a person in maybe a home study where where, um, um, it certainly should be practiced in a church where there's a non-believer. We'll get to that in verse 44 uh, of chapter 14. But um, to answer the question, um, does everybody speak in tongues? Let's put it at rest right here. And as uh, 1 Corinthians 12, again, um, no. It's one of the gifts, but not everybody has the gift of tongues. So no, it's not for all. All right, let's look at the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. Now, we talked about this, uh, what the gift of prophecy actually is, and it's actually teaching and preaching the word of God, even though the word prophecy is used here. And that'll be self-explanatory as we go on to verse two. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, For no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. 
So with the gift of tongues, if it's being exercised, nobody has a clue what you're saying unless you have the gift of interpretation. But he's saying prophesying or teaching the word of God is actually better because you can understand the words that I'm speaking without an interpretation. Verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who, let's just use the word, teaches the word of God, edifies the church. So hopefully we leave the Bible study with uh, our faith increased, a deeper understanding of the spiritual gifts, what's correct and how to use them, what's not correct and how to use them. And let me remind you, they're hearing this for the first time. Um, What I thought was interesting as I thought about it today, if it was a custom for them to have counterfeit uh, ramblings or babbling, which was satanic, um, it, it, it got me um, thinking about people whipping themselves up by getting emotionally involved. <laughs> the only example that I can think of is Indians dancing around a campfire. Or what do they say when they go around and they make these chants, these noises. Well, what are they doing? Well, they're whipping themselves up. Why? War dance. And they're making these uh, unintangible uh, sounds of, you know, going after, going after the Calvary or, or whatever. And, uh, but, but Paul says here, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the whole church may receive edification. Now we're gonna see in just a little bit that he's gonna forbid the speaking of tongues in a church service for the reason that you might have visitors who come in who don't have a clue of what you're, you're talking about. So what we have in reference here, I believe, are believers and um, that it's better to prophesy having a regular Bible study than to have somebody get up and have tongues uh, unless there's somebody there to interpret what is being said. So in six, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless... I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. How is anybody gonna, uh, faith comes by hearing, good place for an amen, and hearing comes by the word of God. Just simply by taking this hour off tonight, coming in, sitting down, listening to a chapter 14, uh, you're gonna come away with a greater understanding of the use and misuse of this particular gift. Okay, verses seven and through 10. Even things without a life, whether it's a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? A musical instrument can communicate. 
Calvary charge. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for the battle? So the cavalry had a trumpet. And when they, or whatever it was, that meant, here we go. And it's communicating is the idea here. And if instruments can communicate, it has to be tangible and understandable is the point that he's making. So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand. And this is what we learn from Pastor Chuck when it comes to Bible studies and teaching. Just teach, simply teach the word of God simply. That's what we call Chuckism. Don't be flashy. Just teach it, simply teach it, and teach it simply. And that's what's being said here. So likewise, unless you utter by the word easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. Now, there are, it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. All right, we'd all agree that there's many different countries A lot of these countries um, have their own language. We're all in agreement with that, right? And that's basically what he's saying here, that there were um, these many different languages up in verse 10, that there's so many kinds of languages. Do Do you know that that was not always the case? Let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 11. And let's go back to when the world had one language. And we'll look at the first nine verses where it says in verse one, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. I'm gonna tie these verses into current events and things that are taking place today. What I, one of the things that I think is happening. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and there they dwelt. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And he said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top reaches to heaven so that we could make a name for ourselves. So what we have going on here is a one world language with the purpose and the intent of the people that they would actually have a name for themselves instead of um, having a service and something that's completely dedicated and given to the Lord. Self is what they have being promoted here. Uh, Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now I'm gonna stop at verse four. And um, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When you get to Ham, In uh, chapter 10, it tells some of his descendants uh, 
In verse eight it says, Cush begat Nimrod. Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist. It says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. In another place in the scriptures, it clarifies that. It says he was a hunter of the souls of men. And let that sink in, because what we have here is a picture. We have Nimrod, and it lists all these other cities that he made that um, he really was the overseer. His name is Nimrod. And he was the one who is the type of the Antichrist who is right now, behind the scenes, spiritually speaking, trying to bring the world full circle so that we have what? A one world currency. So we have what? A one world government. We don't have that now, but that's what we see sort of unfolding. Well, it's gonna unfold And the Bible clearly teaches that there's going to be a one-world currency and a one-world religion and um, a one-world government. Like Nimrod, that's what the Antichrist's goal is. He wants to be worshipped so we can make a name for ourselves, verse 4. What they didn't want to be is scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, the Lord sees this and he sees a problem. So in verse five, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they began to do. Notice this, now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. All right, let me interject my personal opinion here. It's nothing more than my personal opinion. I think everything that's going on today is to take away our freedoms so that we'll be told what we can do and what we cannot do. And um, uh, the Lord is saying we need to go down there and confuse things because if we don't confuse things, um, they'll be able to accomplish whatever they want to. And that's what, our, what I believe is happening in our world today. There are forces at work that want to take away your freedoms, tell you what you can do, tell you what you can't do, or the mandates, there's a big one coming up in New Jersey um, this November, and they're, they're flaunting it. Um, and basically saying if this... Um, a governor of New Jersey or a mayor of New Jersey, I don't know. I just heard it today, so this is sort of in the back of my mind. His people on his staff have, have already let it leaked out after the elections in November that he's going to put out the mandates in New Jersey. And you won't be able to do anything unless you have your little a green card that says you've got the jab. And um, I was listening to a radio program today and the guy actually gave the governor's city that he lives in, the street that he lives on, and the address of his house. And he says his own staff is telling them if he gets reelected that he is going to 
put um, an emerg what was the word? emergency declaration, just like um, Biden did with, uh, with, with, the, uh, with the jab. It's not FDA approved, as we were talking about on Sunday. None of this is under emergency mandate. Well, that's what's happening right now in New Jersey. For what purpose? So that one person can have control over all things. And what we don't, and so what he's basically asking people to do, he said, would you write down his address? Would you go to his house and peacefully protest and just have all these people do this every day until uh, the election uh, next month? That was not in my notes, just so you know. And, uh, but I see that here. So the Lord comes down and he says, unless we confound the language, it says, indeed the people are one and they will have one language and that is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So come, let us go down there, confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And... Um, we read in verse 10 that there are many languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Well, that wasn't always the case. It's true today. And, um, but at one time, the Lord actually came down because he didn't want them to uh, be of such a one mind that they would do whatever they uh, wanted to do. The Lord broke that party up. Now, in verse uh, um, 11 through 21, therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And then he gets back to a, a verse I quote quite often. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts. In other words, they were excited about this um, um, misuse of this, what it was. It was Babel. And they weren't, as uh, D David said, it was a practice that was occulted and satanic. But the Corinthians were really into it. But they were misusing it. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. That's what I meant about singing and playing my guitar and getting to the point where words can't describe this, and that's where the gift of tongues came to me personally as an edification for me because I was able to express verbally, even though I didn't understand what I was saying, um, singing 
in tongues. Verse 15, what is the result then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. And here it is, I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. So here, we're talking about having both gifts, the gift of tongues and personal um, interpretation for some. Not necessarily both. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? If, if somebody's just talking with tongues, you go, amen to that, brother. Well, how can you say amen? You don't understand a word I just said. How can you say amen to it? And not giving thanks since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other one's not edified. You're praising the Lord. You're thanking the Lord more than words than you can say. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul had the gift of tongues. And um, he thanked the Lord that that um, more than, than all of them. Then he says this, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in tongues. The um, answer here is obvious. You understand. Where in tongues you would not understand. I can speak five words and you would understand them. But if I uh, did 10,000 words in tongues, you wouldn't understand any of, of them. He says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, it is written. So now, um, we're going back. He says, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet, For all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Now, verses 22 and 23 have been controversial. And um, because uh, they would almost seem to contradict each other. Um, When Chuck taught on this, he recommended... Uh, a commentator named, if you're taking notes, J.B. Phillips, who gives, I believe, the improper interpretation of verse 22. So let's read 22 and 23 together. You'll see the conflict, and let's go back and see if we can uh, resolve it. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but those who believe. Okay, then it says, therefore, so so it says here, tongues is a sign for um, unbelievers. But in the very next verse, it says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, here we are talking about unbelievers again, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Are you guys crazy? What is, what's going on in here? So in one verse it's saying the gift of tongues is a sign for unbelievers. 
And the very next verse contradicts that by saying, no, make sure. And we have people visiting us every Sunday. We live stream around the world. And so we do not allow speaking in tongues. And yes, there's times I've had to pull people aside. And I said, but I was just doing it really quietly. (laughs) I said, I don't care. Uh, That This is clear what the scripture teaches on this particular issue. We don't do it. J.B. Phillips, in his word study, I believe um, I'm going to read it the way from his word study and his commentary, the, the way it should be read in verse 22. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. He has not crossed out there a sign to those who believe. And, um, and then he disqualifies to the unbeliever because it contradicts verse 33. And in his word study, he doesn't believe those words should be there. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So not gonna be dogmatic about it, but um, I think uh, 23 uh, speaks very, very clearly and it speaks for itself. You exercise the gift of tongues. Now he's going to give more rules and do's and don'ts as we get to, um, we went through 22 and 23. Let's look at 24 and 25. <clears throat> but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is judged by all. Why? Because he can understand what's being said. And thus the secret of his hearts are revealed and so falling down on his face he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. And so somebody comes in, they're not a believer, they're hearing Bible studies really for the first time and they go, wow, that's in the Bible? I never heard that before. That makes perfect sense. And... um, um, you know, I thought I was a good guy, but here the Bible's telling me there's none good. No, not one. My heart is deceitfully wicked, and then I'm a sinner. And unless I repent and accept Jesus, I'm not going to be saved. Well, as the Holy Spirit brings that in, remember we talked about this on Sunday with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You can accept it, free will, or you can reject it. Here, um, Paul is emphasizing the importance of, of understanding and when the Holy Spirit comes upon that person, it's like Acts 2, their heart is cut and they're convicted and they say, now what do we do? <laughs> and Peter said, you, got, you need to repent and be baptized. And some did and some did not. So that's verses 24 and 25. 26 to 33 are the rules that Paul's gonna lay down. Remember the setting, completely pagan city that doesn't know anything about uh, spiritual gifts. So 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. 
Now, I'm thinking here of um, home fellowships, places where you know everybody's a believer. And um, he goes on to say, if everyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three each, and then it says, in turn, what does that mean? That means that everybody does speak in tongues at the same time. He actually tells you how many can do it. You can have tongues in, a, in your service, but don't let be born two or three. And make sure that it's done individually. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most. Do it in turn, and let one interpret, if it's a true gift of tongues. But, let's say there is no interpreter. Remember, there's two gifts. There's a gift of tongues, and then there's a gift of interpretation. Somebody gives a tongue, but there's nobody there that's born again that doesn't have the gift of interpretation. And now Paul is saying, if that's the case, then there is no interpreter, then let him keep silent in the church. No speaking in tongues. And even if everybody's born again. Because um, remember, he who speaks in tongues, in verse four, is for himself, is self-edification. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. All right, let's go back and um, lest we be confused. This is why 12, 13, and 14 should be taught as one setting. Remember, one Holy Spirit, but what? Many different gifts. And that's what we have in in view here as he's talking about the spirits. um, For all can prophesy, I would say there, all can exercise their gift for the building up of the church one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Again, the gifts of the Spirit is to build up other people in Christ. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. All right, let me, let me comment on this one. And maybe you've heard this before. I just couldn't hold myself back. I, I, did, I had no choice in the matter. I mean, the Holy Spirit came, I had to speak in tongues. No, let's read this verse again. And the spirit of the prophets are subject the, uh, to the prophets. You know what that means? It means you have control to open your mouth or not open your mouth. It's not the Holy Spirit coming down and you say, I didn't have a choice. I just couldn't hold myself back. I was forced to speak in tongues. No, this verse is so important because it puts it in order. And saying, no, you have authority to exercise that gift even though the Holy Spirit might be speaking something to you. Is everybody with me on that one? Um, This is ABC teaching for, remember, the church of Corinth. But as I look at uh, the church today, it is a lot of these um, have no idea about 1 Corinthians 14 and the do's and don'ts that Paul is talking about here. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Um, whenever I get to, to, uh, to 
Corinth, I, I have to, I mean, um, Capernaum, um, where Jesus healed Peter's mother, and he was also in the synagogue there. I would explain that when they went into the synagogue, the girls sat on one side, and the guys sat on the other side. There's quite a distance between, between the two. So I want to keep it, this in context because it could sound condescending to women, and that's not Paul's intent here at all. It says, let your woman keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as to the law. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in a church. Well, why would it be a shame for a woman to speak in a church? Well, uh, the rabbi's up there, he's giving a message. All the guys are over here, all the guys are over there, and the rabbi says something, and the woman says, what? I don't understand, honey, honey, (laughs) who's sitting on the other side of the church, honey, what is he talking about? So in the context of the synagogue, the girl sat on one side, and the guy sat on the other side. So we have to keep that in this context. This is not to be degrading. Remember, we quote the scripture, if you're a Christian, there's neither male or female, slave or free, um, Jew or Gentile, we're all one. But this was causing disruption. Can you imagine <laughs> the wife on this side saying, honey, I don't understand what he's saying. Paul is saying, wait till you get home. But while we're in church or in synagogue, keep it to yourself. And that's what's um, going on here. We left off, verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you or was it in you only, uh, let me read that again, or did the word of God come originally uh, from you, question, Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. In other words, if you're having any doubt about this um, and you have wisdom, then Paul's saying acknowledge that this makes perfect sense. But if anybody's ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy or to teach. And then he says, but do not forbid to speak with tongues. Well, now we have to compare scripture with scripture. Verse 33, it's not allowed in a place where there might be non-believers. So he's saying don't forbid it. And this very important verse, because they were so much out of order, Remember with the Lord's Supper? Gluttony and getting drunk? And completely out of order? Well, when it came to speaking in tongues, the church of Corinth was completely out of order. And it's saying here that our God is not a God of of unorder. Let all things be done decently and in order. I'm gonna wrap this up tonight by quoting... um, Uh, Dave Hawking's book on Corinthians again. And it gets back to this idea 
back in 1 Corinthians um, 13. And um, uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. And um, I want to read verses 8 through 10. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. We want to zero in on tongues. And is tongues something that came to an end at one time? They will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Well, as far as I know, knowledge has vanished away and the gift of teaching the word of God has not passed away. And then it says, uh, but tongues will cease. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And the question here is, what is that which is perfect? Is it the Bible? Well, when you get the Bible, then the gift of this, what we call, they call the sign gifts. By the way, this is probably some of the most controversial <laughs> Verses in the entire Bible, what we're reading right now. Um, it's divided the Baptists from the, who believe that the fulfillment is the Word of God, and therefore the sign gifts are no longer for today. Where in Pentecostal churches, they go to the other extreme and they have everybody speaking in tongues at the same time in a church setting. And um, what we want Calvary Chapel to be is the balance between the two. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just as long as they're done decently and in order. So we believe when that which is perfect has come is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we won't need the gift of interpretation because we'll know as he is known. Uh, one of the things that I've read that I need, uh, hope I don't need to clarify it, it says that when he comes, we'll know all things and we will know just as we are known. And I hope I didn't leave the implication that we're even gonna, uh, God knows everything, and I mean everything, okay? So when I make the comment, we will know all things, not all things that the Creator, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and um, the depth and knowledge of their understanding. So if there was any misunderstanding there, all right, this, I'm, I'm quoting Dave, and I'll leave, leave it with this tonight. Since good Bible teachers disagree, it might be wise to say we simply do not have enough evidence to draw a hard and fast conclusion about it. One thing we do know, Satan counterfeits the true gifts, and there is a great deal of misuse and abuse concerning the matter of speaking in tongues. True gift is not an intangible speech, but an actual foreign language that are not known to the speaker. That's Acts chapter two. We also know that not all believers speak in tongues, nor is it the evidence that a person is spirit-filled, and that we find here back to all have the gift of tongues? The answer, of course, is no. Um, and there's actually the gift of, of love that puts the gift of tongues 
almost making it a hurtful teaching in the church. Let's read verse one and we'll close it again, First Corinthians 13, one. And though I have, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Well, that's not building up tongues too much. It's sort of saying you're just making a lot of noise and racket if it isn't the love of the Holy Spirit that is behind it. Good place for an amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close with prayer tonight. Lord, we thank you um, for the clarification that 1 Corinthians 14 gives to us when it comes to the do's and the don'ts of this um, beautiful, wonderful gift of tongues that really takes us beyond when we want to express our love for you and all that you've done for us, we find that human words just don't cut it. And you allow this precious gift of the Holy Spirit to intercede and um, express the way we truly feel our love for you and all that you've done for us. Um, Words do fall painfully short for all that you've done for us and we thank you uh, for the gift of tongues. As far as receiving it, if somebody doesn't have it, you gave us the parable of those who are looking for that baptism in the Holy Spirit and just asking for it. And um, it's as simple of uh, asking the Lord to um, administer. But more importantly, as we close the Bible study tonight, um, we read, pursue love, and then it says, desire spiritual gifts. Lord, I pray that as we talk about uh, this church that was completely unequipped for spiritual gifts, Lord, give us that hunger to want more of you um, and to actually desire spiritual gifts and especially, Lord, that we can communicate effectively the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can understand it, be brought under conviction, would repent and give their lives to you and they then begin to exercise the spiritual gift that you've given to them. So thank you for uh, this chapter tonight. Pray you go before us. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen.